this this morning uh, I'm I'm not going to preach the sermon that's that's in your bulletin. Just so you know, I um, it was already it was in the bag, um, ready to go. Um, so you you can turn that outline over if you want to take some notes. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to preach that one. I'm going I'm to do that one next week. Um, so it's already in the bag. So, hey, you know, I'm good to go, I guess, for next week. But, but I, honestly, I think it's more immediately appropriate this morning uh, that, uh, that we take some time to, to address what happened yesterday in, in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, if you don't know the story, I, I would imagine by now many of you do. Uh, if you don't know the story, there, there were some white supremacists who were standing, I suppose, uh, in the name of nationalism and, and some perverted form of Christianity, um, rallying to, quote-unquote, take our country back and, and whatever. Um, it escalated, of course, to the point where a white man drove his car uh, through a, a group of counter-protesters, uh, killing one person, uh, at least that's my knowledge, killing one person, injuring lots and lots more. Um, it, it was just over a year ago, it was actually July of last year, July 10th, as a matter of fact, that I stood here and preached a sermon in response to the killing of five Dallas police officers uh, who were protecting a group of protesters rallying against uh, police brutality and racism and, and some other things. And, and, and honestly, I think uh, the Lord kind of keeps putting things uh, in our way as a country, as a people, uh, as believers. And I, I really feel like the same sermon is needed. Um, I, I really do. And I don't, I don't have any particular person in mind this morning here. Um, but, but I do believe it's needed. I think, it, I think it's a word from the Lord that we need to hear again. Um, I, I think it's needed, honestly, because I, I don't think that we, certainly as a country, I don't think we get it. I, I don't think we, we really get it. I, I, I question sometimes, in, in just in my own heart and, and, and in the, just the Christian church as a whole, do, do we get it? Do we, do we fully understand these things? Do we understand the, the stance that we are to take? Do we understand who God wants us to be in the midst of, of a, a country that, that, you know, is divided um, and largely along racial lines. Um, I, I think it's needed, honestly, because racism in all of its forms uh, is a sin. It's plain and simple. It's a sin. Um, you know, you, I was talking with somebody this past Wednesday night who, who told me, he said, you know, every once in a while it's good for us for you to step on our toes a little bit. And, and as I got up this morning and the Lord uh, redirected uh, where I was going, I thought, well, I'm I may be jumping up and down on my own and, and several this morning. And, and I, my prayer just a minute ago was that the Lord would not allow me to be just a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal as I, as I preach this morning. But that it would be out of love, uh, certainly for, for Him and for us and for those that, that were affected by it. I, I'm going to reference several different scriptures this morning. We're going to settle in, in in a few moments on Romans chapter 12. And if you want to turn there and hold a place, it's fine. But I'm, I'm going to reference several different ones. And so if you want to write these down, that's cool. Uh, I, 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 they won't be on the screen. There won't be any notes this morning on the screen. As I said, uh, I had a different sermon prepared. And and, uh, and this morning, uh, God changed that. Um, I, I, I believe, it just kind of as a matter of introduction here, as I reference that racism in all of its forms is a sin, I want to give you some reasons why biblically uh, I believe that, uh, why I believe it's very obvious in the Scripture. And I realize this morning I'm preaching uh, to a group of folks who, like in any church, uh, may not 
uh, realize that we may have some some racist tendencies. Maybe we do. Maybe we don't. Um, but I, I do believe that the Lord has a word for us. And so uh, I suppose as I preach here to myself and to us, uh, you know, the, the best application would be as we looked in uh, in the book of Revelation, not long ago about, about the churches and what Jesus wrote to them. You know, if the shoe fits, wear it. Uh, that, that would be, that would be the, the application today. Uh, racism is a sin, uh, first because of Genesis chapter 1. If you want to write this down, you want to turn there, that's fine. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Like I said, I'm going to reference a, a, a bunch. So you just flip back and forth. Don't worry about the rustling of the pages. If you want to get there, that's cool. Uh, here, here's what God said. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. Verse 27. So he created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. There are no second-class humans, according to God. None. Uh, there are no first-class humans, according to God. Uh, there are no humans who can claim by some status of birth that they are better or worse than anybody else. From the very beginning, God created us in His image. Therefore, we are elevated as a race, the human race, elevated to a status that no other part of His creation is elevated to. We are all created in God's image. So racism, in all of its forms... We'll get to more of that in a minute. It's not just a sin against another person or a group of people, but against God who created that person and those people. Uh, Racism also is a sin. If you want to turn to John chapter 4, way over in the New Testament. Turn to the right a little bit. Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. John chapter 4. Jesus has an interaction here that breaks down a lot of barriers, a lot of walls. Verse 1 uh, begins this way. When Jesus knew that the Pharisees heard, uh, heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. Now, that's important. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, uh, near the property that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well, and it was about 6 in the evening. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her. For his disciples had gone into town to buy food. And she was shocked. I mean, the Bible doesn't record her facial expression or anything like that. But she was absolutely shocked. She said, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink? A Samaritan woman. She asked him, for Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Jesus just discounts the whole thing. He said, look, there's no racial lines here. He broke down all the barriers. He intentionally went to where he knew she would be. And by the example of Jesus breaking down those barriers, we know that racism is not of God. Acts chapter 10. Turn a little bit further to the right. Acts chapter 10. What's happening in this particular chapter is there's a man who has a dream, and he has a dream that someone will come to them, and he will help them, and he will, he will preach the gospel to them, and so on. And it, it, it's, it was Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter. Peter then has a vision, sort of in, in, in tandem with this God, is speaking to both men. 
And Peter has a vision of, of something that he, as a Jew, was not supposed to do, which was to eat unclean food. And, and God responds to him when Peter says, Lord, I can't do that in this dream, this vision. And God says, don't call anything unclean. I, I created it all. And so he, he's setting Peter up for what happens next. And then verse 17, it says, while Peter was deeply perplexed about the vision, he's seen, what the vision he had seen might mean, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, the guy who had the, the dream, having asked direction to Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon was there, who was also called Peter, if he was lodging there. And then Peter told him about the vision and so on. The next day, look at verse 23. The next day they got up and set out and some of the brothers from Joppa went with them. The following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered uh, into the house, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet and worshipped him. Then verse 26. But Peter helped him up and said, stand up, I'm also a man. While he was talking with him, he began to... Uh, He went in and found out that many had come together there. Peter said to them, listen to this, you know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with a foreigner. But God has shown me that I must not call any person common or unclean. And that's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. And Peter goes on, look at verse 34. In truth, I understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does righteousness is what? Acceptable to him. Salvation offered to all peoples. Therefore, the exclusion of anyone by racism, obviously, a sin. Matthew chapter 28. Turn back just a little bit. You might know the Great Commission. Go therefore what? Into... All, what, nations, all the world, and preach the gospel, Jesus tells them. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Jesus alluding to the fact in Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, that no one is to be excluded by the people of God. Go make disciples of all nations. If you want to write down this reference, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. It goes Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 27, he says, For as many of you, Paul writing here, as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's counter to everything that the gospel stands for, racism is. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slaughtered and you redeemed people for God by your blood from what? Every tribe and language and people and nation and you made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. Jesus himself came for all nations, all peoples and made them one. Now I have seen racism at work around me in the past. I relayed this story to you last year. I remember when I was a junior in high school and we went to Glasgow, Kentucky. And I, I don't know if anybody here is from Glasgow or not, and I, I certainly don't mean to paint the entire town this way, but this was my experience in Glasgow, Kentucky. We were playing baseball against Glasgow High School there on the field, and we had a black left fielder and a black shortstop. And they had a truck and a dog out in left field. 
and threatened over and over and over to turn that dog loose on our left fielder and our shortstop. And throughout the whole game, they just kept going and going and going. Nobody did anything about it. I was playing third base right next to the shortstop. And he was easy going enough to kind of let it roll off, and he had dealt with it before, and it didn't seem to bother him as much, but it still bothered me for him. I served at a church once, mentioned this last year as well, served at a church once that, that wanted to make sure that it was diverse, intentionally diverse. Nothing inherently wrong with that. But it struck me as odd when during the sermon planning, or during the, the, uh, the service planning rather, uh, the way that they did this, and, and I, I don't, we don't do these things. Danny and I get together every couple of weeks, and we plan out some songs and that kind of thing. And so we, we, we do plan ahead. But, but this was a very detailed planning process. And, and they, at, that, at this particular church, they had cameras and so on. So it, was a, it was a high school auditorium where we met. And so they had cameras set up so that they could project the image. It would be like if my big mug was right there on the screen for you, okay? And so you'd just be you're projected up there. It's called image magnification. And so they, they could put the camera on different people. You could look at the stage or you could look at the screen and so on and so forth. And, and what, they, what they created during the service was a, was a set of boxes that they would, they would put up. Here's the order that we're going to do things on the board and so on. And they had little cards that they just called boxes. Okay, this is our first song box, and here's the sermon box. You know, just kind of, you know, they had a diversity box, which meant that during that time they would put a person of color on the screen. Make sure that we do that so that we can, we can show. Now, you know, was the intent good? I don't, I don't know. But it always bothered me because one of my good friends, and he, he has since remained a good friend, an African-American fellow I worked with, I thought, what does he think of that? I, I've encountered it around me, and I've certainly encountered it in my own heart, my own mind throughout the years. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you don't know it's there. And I believe that racism is still alive and well, certainly in our world, certainly in our country, and it's a sin. God hates it. Jesus died for it. And we need to repent of it. It's that big a deal. So what do we do? I mean, how, how do we handle this? And this is, this is what I preached to us last year. This is where Romans 12 comes in. We're going to focus here for a few minutes. We're going to sing a closing song. And I'm going to let God just do whatever he needs to do in our hearts. And we'll go from there. Romans chapter 12 talks about the path that we are to take in this world as believers. And if you've got your Bible handy, I would encourage you to just turn there and kind of camp out with me for just a few moments in Romans chapter 12. I just want to give you, how can we respond? What's the path that we need to walk? When, when things like this happen, when we see these things, when, when you're encountering people, and, and, and listen, if you, if you look around this morning... And I, 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 we, we have a fairly homogenous church. That means we're all the same when it comes to, to our color. And so as a result, there can, there can be some interactions we have this week with some folks maybe that are a little different from us. And all I want to do is just give us how we can respond and how we can talk with folks and what we can think and how God needs to change our hearts, our response to things like this. Romans chapter 12. Paul writes all of, he, he's written a whole bunch of stuff before this that I'm not going to try to recount all to you, but he talks about the grace and the mercy of God. And he says in verse 1, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. The, the foundation for our response, the foundation for our living, the foundation for God destroying the racism that is in us is first and foremost a gospel focus. He says, in view of God's mercies, because of the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ, he spent all kinds of time in these chapters leading up talking about how much we don't deserve God's mercy and how freely God has given it. Listen to me. Do you realize that based upon not the color of our skin, but the color of our hearts, that Jesus has every reason to hate us? Our hearts are dark and sinful, and his is pure and holy. There is no sin in Jesus Christ, no sin in God the Father. There is none. He has every reason to hate us, and yet in view of God's what? God's mercy, a gospel focus. He has broken down all the reasons that he has to hate us. And in, in his demonstration of love, the Bible says in Romans 5, Jesus died for sinners. The gospel tells us that all of us are sinners in need of God's grace and that we need the righteousness of God to take over our lives, to be deposited into our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 mentions this. 2 Corinthians five seventeen to 21, Paul says everything has become new. If anyone is in Christ, all things are new. Why? Because the righteousness of God has been deposited into our lives and our sin has been taken away, deposited on Jesus on the cross and done away with. It's a gospel focus. I... I the response in the last 12 hours or so, of course, people people have come up with all kinds of different ways. Okay, we need to do this and that. I, I, I don't believe it's naive. I just believe it is simple. And my view is this, that the problems of our world, whatever they may be, racism, whatever they may be, the problems of our world, they, they cannot be solved simply through discussion. Let's just all get in the same room. We're going to talk about this and we'll talk out our differences and so on. That may be helpful, certainly, but that, that can't be where it ends. It, it, our, the problems in our world are not going to be solved just through laws, though certainly maybe you know laws need to be changed and, and still need to be I don't know, I, but that's not the only way. Or, or by anything else invented by humans. The, the one and only hope for the issues that our world faces, highlighted yesterday again by the tragedy in Charlottesville, the one and only hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Period. End of story. The, the problems and issues that you and I face in our lives, whatever they may be, our attitudes, our actions, our, our emotions, whatever it is, it's not going to be solved just by showing up to church on Sunday morning. I'm glad you're here. I tell you that all the time. I'm super glad you're here. But just showing up this morning, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that must invade your heart and my heart and change us from the inside out. Oh, now we have no hope. Oh, now we're just taking up space in a building. And so the problems that we face in our world today cannot be solved through just discussion and so on. They have to be solved by the gospel. Without, without a gospel focus, we're just going to make things worse, quite honestly. Secondly, look at verse 2. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. We've got to have a gospel focus and we've got to be different. Different. If Jesus has made no difference in your heart and your mind and your attitudes, then you don't know Jesus. And I say that not trying to judge anybody's soul. I think it's clear in Scripture that when Jesus invades a person's life, he changes everything. Now, is it gradual in some cases? Yeah. Is there a process? It's progressive sanctification. We get more and more like Jesus? Absolutely. But 
whatever perverted form of Christianity these guys were demonstrating yesterday, it's not Christianity. We should renounce that. We, we should get as far from that as we possibly can, folks. We have to. It is not godly. It is not of God. It's not Christian. It's not Jesus. Jesus went to the cross. <laughs> he died for, for Jew and Gentile alike. He died for sinners. It's not Christianity. We've got to be different. Transform, not conforming. What does the world like to do? Take sides. Well, I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. I'm black. I'm white. I'm this. I'm that. Whatever. We like to take sides. We like to rant. We, we, we like to shout louder than the other group. We like to take revenge. We like to threaten. We like to do things like that. And Jesus, in the word here through the Apostle Paul, is saying, don't be conformed to all that. Be transformed. Be different. And that's not to say that Christians are prevented from having strong opinions or expressing. That's not the point. I'm not trying to trample on your rights of free speech and blah, blah, blah. I, honestly, this morning, I just want to point us to the kingdom of God that far surpasses any citizenship we might claim here on earth. We're not to be squeezed into the mold of how the world thinks and how it acts. We're to be different. Because the truth is the world needs a group of people who are totally different completely different, governed by a completely different kingdom, one that unites all believers above race or anything else, and be loyal to that. Verse 3 goes on, he says, "For the, by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. So you've got a gospel focus, uh, you, you've got uh, a difference that we are to be, and you've got humility. Don't think more highly of yourselves than you ought. Do you ever struggle with that? Sometimes I think I'm a pretty big deal. I'll just be honest with you. I don't know why. I mean, really? You know, I was joking with a kid. You know, I lost all my hair. You know, I mean, I you know, used to have great hair. Man, it was good. It was good hair. It just fell out. You know? I don't know what happened. But every once in a while, I get to thinking, I'm a big deal. Boy, look at me. And... I've joked with you before, you know, I sometimes even here I think, whoa, what would Elm Grove do without me? And I've told you, you know what you'd do? You may or may not send me a going away party. You might just say, see ya. But you know what you'd do pretty quickly thereafter? You'd get a new pastor. This is the way it is, isn't it? It's okay. Don't think more highly of yourselves than you ought. And certainly that plays out in everything that we do. I mean, I should be the first one to admit when it comes to the issue of racism that I, that I don't know everything. I don't know all the facts. I don't know what it's like to be a non-white person. A non-white, non-middle class, non-I-got-it-pretty-good kind of person. I don't know what it's like to be anything but that. Humility, Jesus demonstrated that Paul told us in Philippians chapter 2 that he left heaven and he, and he humbled himself to obedience, even death on a cross. James chapter 1 tells us that we are to be sl slow to speak, slow to become angry, but what? Quick to listen. Humility, we listen. Maybe you say, you know, I don't know what to do. I mean, I, I have friends that are not white and I don't know what to say to them. I don't know what to do. Second Chronicles chapter 20 makes this point. The people cry out to the Lord and they say, We don't know what to do, but our eyes, they say, are on you, Lord. Humility. Verse 4. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, verse 5, uh, we, we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members 
of one another. According to the grace given us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, then use it according to the standard of faith. If service, in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. Showing mercy with cheerfulness. Then go down to verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Not only humility, but what else we need is unity. It's interesting. He, he talks about that we are members of one body as believers in Christ. Do you realize that what is not possible in the world is possible in the church? Some, some I've seen I've seen this happen in, in churches that I've been a part of, and certainly here. Some people that just plain don't like each other choose to get along in a church. I've seen it. I, listen, I, I'm not dumb. I've been around here for just a little while now. I know that there are some people here that don't like other people here. That's just the way it is. I get it. I understand we're different. But there is something about the unity in the body of Christ that mutes those disagreements. Now, sometimes they split churches, and God forbid. But sometimes they split churches. But it's interesting to see that we, we make a choice as members of the body of Christ to say, you know what, I'm different from that person. I'm not even sure I like that person. But I will choose in this moment, in, in this body, to get along. It's amazing what God does. We, we are a body of believers that prove to the world and to each other that what is not possible outside these walls is certainly possible. Here's a unity possible on the basis that we all stand on equal ground on the cross of Jesus Christ. There is a unity there that is possible, recognizing we're all sinners. That's not possible out in the world. Out in the world, we have competition. Out in the world, we have jockeying for position. Out in the world, we have put-downs. Out in the world, we have all those things. May it never be here at Elm Grove from this point forward that we have those things, but may we have unity. Not, not unanimity. That'd be, that's the right word, correct? Yes, it is. Okay, unanimity. I don't know I couldn't spell it right now. But, but we don't need to, not everybody has to agree on everything. But what we can be together, we can be unified on the message and the mission of Jesus Christ. And he says this, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I had a friend come last week. Sat right back over here, close to where Rocky and Leanne, Jimmy, Larry, and, and others are sitting. His name's Will. Will Harden. Will grew up in my home church, an African-American fellow. I, I wasn't sure if he'd be here this morning or not. I didn't prepare this sermon for him. I, I, I didn't know what I was going to say to him this morning. I'll be honest with you if he came. I didn't, know, I didn't know what to do. Maybe tomorrow you get up and go to work, go to school or whatever, and you see a person who's not white, particularly an African-American person whose community has been deeply affected by these things. You may not know what to do. There's some instruction right here in Romans chapter 12 to weep with those who weep. Just to be intentional and to say, you know what, I don't know what to say. But I love you. And I'm, I'm, I'm here for you, and I'm sorry. Did that affect them directly? Was that person killed? No, but we need to understand we don't understand what it feels like. Our minds being changed is what all this is predicated upon. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Don't be proud. Associate with those in a, in a humble position. 
society can't find unity, but we can show them what it's like. And we can ask God to ferret out the subtle racism that is in our hearts. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in my attitude, assuming certain things when I see a person who's not white. Or ignoring certain people or groups of people because I don't understand them. And I'm not one of them. Or joking in general, the old jokes that still go around, they're not dead, unfortunately. Or just avoiding people that are not like me. I've seen it in my own heart. Maybe you have too. Should we see color? Some people say, well, I don't see color. Sure you do. Sure you do. That's a lie. You're looking at me right now, right? You know what color I am. See me? I don't see color. It doesn't matter to me. Maybe it should matter to us. So that we can be intentional and say, Lord, I recognize that you went to the cross for all nations. So, Lord, I will be intentional toward all peoples. Verse 9 says, Love must be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Verse 13, Share with the saints in their needs and pursue hospitality. Paul writing here about love. And not the love that our world saw. We just need to love one another. And the little bumper stickers that say coexist with all the religious symbols. That's that's the old way of saying it's a pipe dream. True, biblical, godly, gospel-focused love is what we're talking about. The kind of love that says, I will not murder someone even in my heart by what I say about them, Matthew chapter 5. That I will love my enemies and I will pray for those who persecute me and I will not seek revenge and I will allow for the Lord's discipline. The kind of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that's not about romantic love between a husband and wife, but it's about a divided church that can't find common ground. And Paul says to them, love is what? Patient and kind. And what? Not easily angered. And it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And it doesn't assume the wrong thing about the other person because of that. Just simple loving kindness. And then verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. Maybe you don't know what to do, but you would pray. And you would say, Lord, convict me. Lord, Lord, ferret out anything in me that does not belong. And Lord, use me as a reconciler. I believe that what we're seeing in our country is a spiritual battle. I believe it all goes back to that, quite honestly. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 that if we're in a spiritual battle, he says to pray pray without ceasing. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, don't be anxious for anything, but instead pray. Pour out our hearts to the Lord. It's that big of an issue. And then verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. There's grace that is needed. Showing grace to those who in no way maybe deserve it, though in no way are they they asking for it, but to show grace. There's a great story in the book of 2 Samuel. I'm not going to take the time to read it all, but I'll just kind of recount it to you. 2 Samuel chapter 9. David, who has taken over as king after King Saul was, was killed. King Saul had been dethroned really long before that, but he's killed. And, and David is, is asking his king, his, the members of his court and, the, and his servants. He says, is there anybody from the house of Saul 
to whom, he says, and this was shocking, to whom I may show kindness. He was a rival. You didn't do this kind of thing. In fact, what was expected was that you would take out all of the family of King Saul so that none of them would be a competitor for the throne. David says, is there anybody to whom I can show kindness? And there was one member of the family. His name was Mephibosheth. We could all say that together really fast, right? Mephibosheth. Any of you ladies, you're pregnant. There you go. There, you just found the name right there, okay? Mephibosheth. But this, this, this guy was, was crippled. He couldn't walk. And he's scared to death that not only is he part of the king's family, but he is useless. David calls him in and gives him a seat at the table. Makes him a part of his family, essentially. And that's what Jesus has done for all of us. Crippled we are by sin. Dead in our sin. And Jesus, through the power of the cross, has invited us to the table. Folks who were once his enemies, he now calls us friends by the power of his blood shed on the cross. Grace. Paul says, bless those who persecute you. What did Jesus say on the cross? Father, what? Forgive them. Bless and do not curse. And then Paul wraps it up here in Romans chapter 12. And he says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. And that's even in your heart, by the way. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, what? Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you'll be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. There must be civility as we pursue peace, not revenge. But living at peace, if at all possible... Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, he began by talking about who his disciples were to be, and then he stated who they already were in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through verse 16. He says, you are what? The salt of the earth. And then he says, you are the light of the world. And in verse 16 of Matthew 5, he says, let your light then shine before people in such a way, what? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I, I, I don't know where you stand with the issue of racism. And you may say, man, why in the world would you spend this whole time talking about this and I ain't even dealing with this? Maybe, just maybe, that's a sign that you're dealing with it. Hint, hint, get me? Maybe. We must be. God has called us to be. Jesus has sent us out to be the light of the world. And as far as we can help it, we as Elm Grove Baptist Church will be ones who are reconcilers. Because as much as we don't like to admit it, Murray, Kentucky could easily be Charlottesville, Virginia. Do you know why? Because there are sinners living in Murray, Kentucky. And let it be said of us that we are not conformed to this age, but we have been transformed by the renewing of our minds and we will be the salt of the earth and the light of the world so that people will see us, see the transformation that God has made in our hearts, see what we don't do anymore, see what we do and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Let's pray together.
Our Lord, whatever is not of you, we pray and I pray that you would get rid of it in my heart. Lord, maybe it seems like this is too heavy for a Sunday morning. Maybe it's not affecting us because it's in a different state and it's just not not something we've dealt with. Lord, let us not be foolish. Lord, let it begin with me, the transformation of my mind and my heart toward those who are not white, middle class, have it pretty good kind of guys. Lord, whatever is not of you, break it down in me and break it down in us. Lord, we take it to the cross this morning. And and Lord, I confess to you my own sins of racism in the past. The sin of racism wants to rear its ugly head in my mind and my heart even, even now. Lord, I know those sins have been crucified with Christ and I have been made new. And so, Lord, help me to walk in the newness of life that comes by the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. Lord, make me a reconciler. Set our church, Lord, up in this community so that we might be seen individually and collectively as those who love people just as you have loved us, no matter who they are. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the cross and for the the gospel message, the glorious gospel of Jesus, that while we were once sinners, you died for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace. We pray in Jesus' name.